The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. I'm Kevin. This is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is we look at movies that are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes and we reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 1999's The Boondock Saints, directed by Troy Duffy, starring Willem Dafoe, Sean Patrick Flannery, Norman Reedus, David Delarocco, Billy Connolly, and Ron Jeremy. The Boondock Saints is a 1999 crime thriller film. This film currently holds a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? When the sadistic Russian mob starts muscling in on their South Boston Irish neighborhood, Connor and Murphy McManus know what must be done. Feeling that the vengeance of God is flowing through their veins, they set out to rid the streets of gangsters, criminals, and lowlifes. As the body count rises, the brothers become local heroes. Now, one unorthodox FBI agent must be cunning enough to bring them down. Okay, Kevin, Boondock Saints. This movie was suggested by a couple people, and I have some of their comments right here. It has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes by the critics, but has a 93% by the fans. It's widely regarded as a cult classic by college guys everywhere, and it is often used as a method for celebrating St. Patrick's Day. The time has come for you two esteemed gentlemen to tackle the great debate of our time. Boondock Saints. Please, please, please give this movie your attention. Thanks, Justin. And the flip side of that coin is, I think this fits right in with what this podcast is about. 19% of Rotten Tomatoes critics liked it, but 93% of my fellow Flixsters users and many of my friends like it. Personally, I side with the former Greg. So there you go. Two opposing sides on this movie. Kevin, what's your history with this one? Uh, I saw it when I was in college, so I guess I fall into that college male category you just mentioned. But if it's at 93% on Flickster, is that really a cult classic? I mean, it's just widely regarded as a great movie, right? <laughs> I mean, how many movies even go up that high? I guess, Well, I mean, what is a cult classic? What defines one? I mean, I, I have a vague idea in my mind, but what is, what is it really? I mean, to me, it means it is a cult following, a very specific niche following, like yeah. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, Everyone that's listening to this, go to yastatbad.com. Leave a comment on this episode's page. What do you think a cult classic is? Okay, you know, you said before that you saw this movie in college. And to me, this movie, I feel that, like, at least where I went to school, during the freshman orientation, they handed out copies of this to everybody. <laughs> They're just these stock movies that everybody had in their dorm room when I was in school. So if you went into any random girl's dorm room, there's a really high probability that she had one of two movies. She either had The Notebook or Garden State. Now, if you go in a guy's room, the flip side would be they either had Fight Club or this movie. I would agree with that. The Matrix, too. The Matrix is all over the place. Oh, it's big. That was was big. (laughs) Big time. Oddly enough, this is the first time I've actually seen this movie. I saw Overnight, the documentary that's based on this movie, before I saw the actual movie, which is kind of a weird progression. Yeah, you did it wrong. I did it completely wrong, you know. One of the most interesting facets of this movie is its history, because it has a pretty interesting history behind it. So before we dive into this thing, I want to go through a very brief history of the Boondock Saints, slightly abridged. Troy Duffy's screenplay for the Boondock Saints was inspired by his disgust at seeing a drug dealer taking money from a corpse across the hall from his apartment. Duffy, who was working as a bartender and bouncer, had never written a screenplay before. 
Duffy completed the screenplay in fall of 1996 and passed it to a producer's assistant at New Line Cinema to be read by a senior executive. The screenplay changed hands through multiple studios and Duffy was approached by multiple producers for the rights. The documentary Overnight, which chronicled Duffy's rags to riches story, showed that the script was worth $300,000 and the film itself was originally given a $15 million budget by Miramax's Harvey Weinstein. Duffy's band The Brood would do the soundtrack and as a bonus, Miramax offered to buy and throw in co-ownership of Jay Sloan's, the bar where Duffy worked. Overnight showed that Duffy frequently exhibited abrasive behavior causing tension for many people involved in the project. The movie deal quickly turned sour. Miramax put the film in turnaround. Conference calls were refused, and soon Duffy was without any movie industry contact at all. Duffy, due to his arrogant behavior, is rumored to have been blacklisted by Weinstein, one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. When The Boondock Saints was completed, it saw very limited theatrical release, with its distributor showing the film in 1999 on only five screens in the United States for the duration of one week. The Boondock Saints gained a following mostly thanks to word-of-mouth publicity and was a bestseller when released on DVD. Despite its success, Troy Duffy never saw any of the profits from DVD distribution, having signed away the DVD rights in his contract with Indican. All right, Kevin, let's just dive into this thing. Let's do what we always do at the top of the show, and we'll discuss the actors that are in this movie, and we'll see how you thought they did. First up, Willem Dafoe. I'm a big Willem Dafoe fan. I think he's pretty good in in his roles generally, and this was no exception. I mean, he was definitely the best actor in this movie. Hands down. This is his movie. Yeah. It really is. Like, you know, here's an interesting question. It's like, it's called the Boondock Saints, but... You could argue that it's like Willem Dafoe is like the main character. Yeah, yeah, you could, you definitely could make that argument. I thought he was the best thing. Like he, he brought all the laughs, and his character was just so over the top. He, he had the funniest joke in the movie, which I won't spoil. You have to see that for yourself. Okay, next up, Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus as the the saints, the two brothers. The, these two, I can't even tell them apart. Like, I don't know who's who. Yeah, I, I have no idea which one's which. I mean, I, I think the two main characters and the third guy that kind of joined them later, they did an okay job. Yeah, they did. They're not, they're not you know, well-known actors. One brother I thought was better than the other. There was one that had the more pronounced accent. He was more fun, but I thought the other more serious brother was a better actor. Agreed. If we're talking about the same ones. If you think we're talking about yeah. the same guy. <laughs> okay, uh, Billy Connolly. The screen time he had, he was pretty good, but he was barely in it. Like, he spoke I, twice. I wonder why he was even in it, because he just kind of came and went. I imagine to set up that Boondock Saint 2 role. Oh, okay. So <laughs> in 1999, <laughs> they already had Boondock Saints 2, All Saints they planned out. And finally, Ron Jeremy. Who was he? He was the uh, sleazy 1970s looking guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was barely in it too. Yeah, he was barely in it. I met him once. Did you? I did. Porn star extraordinaire, Ron Jeremy. (laughs) 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 Yeah, he came to my school, you know, he came to my college while everybody was in the dorm rooms watching Boondock Saints. He came to the college and he gave a, uh, he gave a speech about porno and the law. This amazes me. Does it? So theoretically, he was paid by your school to yes. come there, right? Yes. The things that he said were legit. Like he had a legit speech, but I was just bored, you know? I thought yeah. it was going to be raunchier, but it wasn't. All right, that's about it. Let's, uh. Yeah, there's not much to talk about acting wise here. I mean, this isn't, no, this this isn't, isn't showcasing anyone's <laughs> acting skills, except for maybe Willem Dafoe. All right, let's dive into this thing. What did you think about the opening credits? I strongly dislike them. Okay, I... yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. <laughs> First off, I thought that the on screen text. Like super cheesy, like 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 night like 1989 TV 
cheesy. Okay. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. And they had all these um, aerial shots of Boston intercut with the boys, uh, with, with the Saints uh, in a meatpacking plant. Yep. And they got into a little tussle with an extremely aggressive woman. 1989 TV show is a really good descriptor for what that was. It was almost like the intro to a television show because it was like one scene that was chopped up by other scenes. It's just, it was really disorienting. I don't know why we were shown clips of Boston. It's not like Boston was, you know, like the city was a character in this movie like some cities can be. Like um, like in Sex in the City in New York, it's a character. I'll have to take your word for it. Of course. I've never seen it. <laughs> so the movie kicks off and Willem Dafoe shows up. There's two murdered people in an alley and the flashback shows us that the brothers had a hand in this because these two Russian guys, they want to get revenge because they got their ass beat at a barroom brawl and the Russians came and attacked the brothers while they were sleeping and the Russian had a comical hammer and sickle on his gun. I made a note of that. I thought that was stupid. I didn't even notice that. Well, I, I caught that. And, and one of the Russians ties one of the brothers to a toilet and he grabs the other one to execute outside. And then we see this pretty interesting sequence where in slow motion, the, the brother that's tied to the toilet rips the toilet out of the ground and throws it off the roof of the building <laughs> and murders this guy with a toilet. I'm going to say... Probably one of the most embarrassing deaths you can have. What do you think? Oh, being hit by a toilet? Killed by toilet. The only way it could be worse is if it was inside of it. (laughs) (laughs) Filled with human waste. That's the only way it could be worse. What did you think of this scene? I liked it. So did I. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, It was fun. And they did a really good job of showing. I mean, he was handcuffed to the toilet. Yeah. And you could see the handcuffs digging into his skin as he was ripping it off. And I, I thought they handled that really well, though. I mean, it, was, it, it seems a little ridiculous that someone rip a toilet off the floor. But, I couldn't do that. But again, this is like a decrepit old building. You're right. You're so, right. you know, it's probably rusty. Probably doesn't even work anyway. The guy did have to have pretty good aim to throw that to toilet. Aim that toilet and hit that. I mean, what dead shot? You know, perfect. Fifth floor, right? So that's five stories up. Yeah, you're right. He tossed that perfect shot. Yeah, and then and he, then he jumped yes. off. <laughs> then he jumped off. You, you think every bone in his in his legs was shattered? But. Well, I mean, at least he didn't get up, dust himself off, and run away. No, he was he hurt. was, he he was, was hurt. knocked out. He was hurt. The other guy had to pick him up and and carry him out. Um, I mean, people people fall from way higher than that and can walk away sometimes. That is true. And then sometimes people fall that far and they die. They, they fall from far less and they die. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I was able to buy it though. It wasn't it wasn't too crazy for me. So after this, the brothers decide to turn themselves in. They go to jail. And the cops are in love with these guys for some reason. What is that about? They killed criminals. <laughs> they killed mobsters. These weren't like, you know, soccer moms. Murder is murder, is it not? I agree. Vigilante justice? I, I agree with that. And they let them free. The cops just say we're not going to charge them. It's a clear case of self-defense. They cheered when they came out of They the did. Prison. Now, I don't understand how that happens. Because this is what happened at a, very, at a very basic level. They started a fight with these guys in a bar. Lit them on fire. He did. <laughs> Those guys come back to them, try to kill them. But instead, they wind up killing the mobsters. And there's no charges there? Self-defense? That's self-defense? I guess. So I can just go up to someone and punch them in the face until they're about to kill me. Oh, yeah. And then I can kill them and um, I go scot-free. I think that is a theory worth testing out. I I don't buy that, but I mean, whatever. If they get arrested, then there's no movie. Yeah, 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 I guess so. And the, the cops are in love with these guys. 
So then while they're in police custody, they actually ask to stay there overnight. And during the night, there's a rainstorm. The rain creeps in the cracks of their jail cell. And they, I guess, what, what, what do they get? Baptized by the rain? <laughs> Was that a dream? Was that real? What did you think about that? Isn't that where they had their... No, no, it, it, that's where they had their... They got their calling, right? To kill? Yeah, they, they kind of like... They both like woke up. Had, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Had the, yeah. the rain hitting their forehead as if it's you know like a baptism. Mm-hmm. The one guy says something, the other guy kind of finishes his sentence, and that's it. They that's got it. their they got their message from God. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of frailty. Yeah, like that. This is like a sillier version of that kind of thing. Okay. And they, they use that as a justification for murder. Yes, yes. But they didn't really dive into that too much. That's all we see. No, no. I would have. I, I, I thought that the whole time I was watching this movie, it's like, you're killing in the name of God, right? Aren't you worried that uh, you're going to end up in hell for all this murder? But yeah. I, I guess not if they assume that they're, they're, that's what they were told well, to do. Well, we need to talk about the, the, the holes in their moral argument for what they're doing. Okay. Because there, there's a lot more there. In their mind, they can go around killing bad people. And what qualifies someone as a bad yeah, person? Yeah, what is a bad guy? According to them, it's like rape, murder. Yeah, mobsters. Sure. You know what? I can kind of see that. And I think there's a lot of people who could get behind something like that, too. Yes. The part that I had trouble with was when they went to the strip club and killed a couple of guys just because they were at a strip club. They see, they had no, now. no knowledge of, of, of those guys doing anything wrong except for being present at a strip club. Kevin, Kevin, this is where a little bit of research pays off. Oh, okay. There was a deleted scene in the movie where when they first go to the hospital, one of the brothers witnesses a pimp beating up a hooker and he kind of contains himself. He wants to beat him up, but he holds himself back, which is why in the strip club scene, he says to himself, he says, I've been waiting for this guy because it's the same guy. I remember him saying that. Okay, that's one of the guys. Well, who's the other one? Again, I think they're, I think if you're going to kill you know, people who you see as evil better be really evil. Oh, okay. It can't be. They might as well put the guns to their own heads, right? At some point, once they realize what they've done. I guess is that that's the end game, right? That, that'd be you, that'd be a great ending, right? You kill every murderer, rapist in the world, and then you just kill yourself. Yeah, they kill each other. <laughs> Boondocks means three. These kids commit suicide. I I don't know. I just I struggled with. I was with it until they just randomly killed those people at the. The adult. Well, I guess you know entertainment parlor. That just goes to show you how important editing is to a yeah. movie, right? One single scene can destroy a character. Yeah, that's true. Because at that point, they seemed a little, a little too righteous. All right. So the next big action set piece in this movie is, and that's pretty much what this movie is. I would say just a series of set pieces, right? Like there's barely yeah. a plot, or, or or what there is is really thin, and it just serves to connect the next action scene. Yeah, there's no real plot here. It's just a, I'd say a storyline. Less than, you know, more so than a plot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just a series of uh, set pieces. And the next one is, one that I thought was pretty cool is when they're, they're crawling through an air vent and they fall through. And because they had the rope with them, they're, they're hanging from the ceiling, kind of like Mission Impossible style. They're, yeah. ups, they're upside down and they're swinging around and they're shooting everybody while they're suspended in midair. Yeah. What do you think of the sequence? That was a really, really cool sequence. I mean, it was, it's, it's what action movies should have in them. I mean, this movie had a lot of those scenes where you're like, you know, that's what a good action movie has. Yeah, that, it made me smile. Like, I really like this, this part. It's just funny because it, you don't really often see that in these kind of movies where they're, they're fighting, they fall through the the uh, ceiling and then they're basically tangled in the rope it's not even like they they plan that and they just go around shooting everyone plus this movie is really self-aware there's a lot of meta stuff in there where they're like oh this is just like in a movie or (laughs) just like bad tv They, they did it a lot in this movie yeah like they broke down the fourth wall a couple times yeah and i mean it it's good that they did 
because I mean these guys have no training as assassins or killers. I mean that that's what yeah. they're you would imagine if two guys actually did this that that's what it would be their their training would be watching movies and playing video games. It'd be expected that their actions would mirror those that you would see in in the media. That actually has a um, a name, that kind of a writing trick. It's called uh hanging a lantern on it. And that means that's what they do when um, it's a writer's trick with dealing with any element of the story that threatens the audience's willing suspension of disbelief, whether a very implausible plot development or particularly blatant use of a trope by calling attention to it and then moving on. And it works, too, because stuff like that usually always gets a laugh when you point out how stupid this is. Yeah. And it's better than not addressing it at all and just leaving something completely stupid in your movie. No, but sometimes something like that can ruin a movie for you. When I saw Pirates of the Caribbean, there was one scene in that movie. You have been harping on about dro- this. drove me nuts and for ruined like the, the whole movie for me. You have not shut up about this. I can't let it go. <laughs> I'm going to leave it open-ended so people at home could, could worry, like, what could it possibly be? Yeah, I'm not telling you. There's no way. Okay, so after they murder all these people, they do this thing where they start putting pennies into people's eyeballs so they can pay the ferryman. They add a little, little bit of mythology to their killing. Yeah. What would you think of this? It seemed out of left field because their whole ideology is based in religion. Judeo-Christian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the River Styx has no no place there. <laughs> We're going to get some sort of uh, theological scholar who's going to send me an email. I'll put you in your place. Maybe that is in the Bible. I don't know. Maybe I missed that day of class. But I don't remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also thought that it kind of am- didn't amount to anything. It just seemed that something like, like the screenwriter was like, this is pretty cool. I'm going to toss this in there. You know, to Oh, there, the there's ball. a few instances of that. That kind of thing. It just has nothing to do with anything. I'm just going to toss it in there. Yeah, definitely. Not even just as part of the script, but some of the, the direction itself. Oh, okay. Because if you remember when they're putting the coins on their eyes, that's when they cut to the, I think it was slow motion black and white. It was. And then it's just very heavy handed directing. It's very handed, very short. It, it drew a lot of attention to itself. Yeah. And that's, the, that's like the mark of a first time director, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he was just going to be cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really easy to say that this guy did a terrible di- job directing. I'm not going to say that. I don't think so. I'm not going to say that. With certain aspects of it, they were pretty bad. Yeah, but like you got, you have to give him credit. Like this guy had no experience. Exactly. He didn't go to film school. He didn't know anything. This is his first movie. Yeah, I was going to say. He did a really good job for his first movie. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a better job than I think probably like, 99% like, of people would do with no experience. Yeah, one of the, the tragedies about this whole overnight Troy Duffy story is that I saw The Promise of this guy, right? Oh, wouldn't, definitely. Wouldn't it have been nice to have seen like, th- that's like 10 or 15 years or whatever that were lost. Yeah. Because he had a, a huge ego or whatever. He could have been making movies this whole time and progressing as a filmmaker. Yeah, definitely. It's a shame. But I mean, he has no one to blame but himself, right? Yeah. So in this scene, when the boys drop through the, the ceiling, they, they kill all these, these mobsters that are in the hotel room. And their buddy shows up dressed up like a bellboy. It was his job to murder these guys. But the brothers got there first. Yep. And I saw a little plot hole there. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put on my nitpicking uh <laughs> magnifying glass. <laughs> put it right up to my face and dissect this. So he comes in with a tray of food, like he's room service. And the boys, the brothers, they decide to play a prank on him. They grab him and throw him on the ground, and they pretend they're gonna kill him, right? Yeah. They take the tray of, of uh food and they just toss it to the side and then and then they just leave. So it's blatantly said that Willem Dafoe was really good at being a detective. He sees things that other people cannot see. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't he have noticed that there's a tray of warm food that's uneaten on the side? And wouldn't he say, who delivered this? Get the bellboy in here. That's a good point. 
was there definitely food on that tray? Well, th- yeah, there was like that's what he was there for, right? That that was his ruse. Well, I didn't know if maybe it was just an empty cart because a room like that could just have a cart in it. You think he had like a dish, like the covered yeah, dish maybe. under it? I mean, where would he get the food? He'd have to go down to the kitchen. Where did he get the uniform? He probably kidnapped or, or he beat up the real guy, yeah, Jafar. And yeah, that's true. Stuff. There's a scene in this movie that I think was ripped off or inspired, if you will, straight out of Tarantino. And it was a scene involving the cat. Why don't you describe that? Oh, well, when they're they're back at um, Rocco's place, he's the, their, their friend who eventually joins them in their quest. They're at his apartment. They're kind of drinking and smoking. It was a really weird sequence. It was almost like the kind of sequence you'd see in a movie where characters are doing drugs. It gets really like hazy yeah, and you're weird. Right. You're right. But they weren't, they were just kind of drinking and smoking cigarettes. They're palling around. Yeah. I thought it was really weird the way they shot that. It was almost misleading. And at one point, Rocco just slams his fist down the table, which has a gun on it. And the gun goes off and basically causes a cat to explode. Yeah, and to just like a water balloon hit, yeah. the, hit the wall. Blood <laughs> yeah. splattered everywhere. And that that was just like the scene in Pulp Fiction when the guy in the backseat got shot. It's been so long since I've seen that. I don't even remember that. Kevin, you're, you're losing credibility by the second. <laughs> I had some? Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're in the negatives now. <laughs> so the very next action scene in this movie is their friend Rocco joins them and he tips them off to the next guy that they should kill. And this guy's in the middle of a poker game with all the mobsters in it. And one of my favorite things in this movie is actually the flashback sequence because they do this really cool thing where Willem Dafoe is explaining like, here is what I think happened. And and like Willem Dafoe is like in a suit and he's walking around. Like his character is in the present Yet he has entered this flashback and he's walking around mm-hmm. while all these things are happening. He's like observing everything. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I liked it too. It was a different spin on it, which kept it fresh a little bit because like we said, they went to that flashback over and over again. So it freshened it up a little bit. It did get a little crazy at the end when he started like screaming and, and shooting the gun up yeah, in the like, air. Like, like he, he's, okay, so he's in the, he's, <laughs> he's, 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 he's standing there and he's like telling these cops, like, here's what I think happened. How long do you think an explanation of that would take? 10 minutes to say what happened? Yeah, tops. So, so it starts with him in a full suit, <laughs> fully prim and proper. And by the end of the 10 minutes, he's completely disheveled. <laughs> like he just ran a marathon. His hair is all mussed up. He's sweaty. <laughs> what is that? For the, for, for the listeners at home, Joel was wearing a button-down shirt and he, <laughs> he started unbuttoning it and taking it off, kind of like Willem Dafoe. No, yeah, I, I don't understand. It was crazy when he was screaming and like moving all around. He was he was like orchestrating the scene. Like, yes, like a yes. But it went over the top when he started shooting the gun in the air. First time director. I guess so, but it was weird. It didn't take me out of it. It wasn't, I didn't think it took away from the film, really. It was just kind of like a weird moment, and I'll let him have it, but... Yeah, he lost his cool. He had been so cool prior to this, and... Did he really shoot the gun? Do you think that was all in his mind? I mean, wouldn't, if the cops were around, be like, dude, why are you shooting a gun off in the air? What are you doing? Don't cops have to, like, account for every bullet they shoot or something, too? I think there's a lot of paperwork involved with just shooting your gun off. All right, after this, they walk outside and Billy Connolly finally shows up. You know, when they, they showed his character prior to this, he was like, they showed him in prison. And he looked like he was in the prison from Law Abiding Citizen, like this ancient 1800s <laughs> yeah. prison. He was in like this bird cage when they did the parole <laughs> hearing. What was that about? I guess just to show you how insane cra- he Yeah, is. how crazy dangerous he is. Yeah, okay. But apparently not so dangerous that they didn't not grant him parole. 
All right, so Billy Connolly shows up, and he's a one-man army. He's got a bunch of guns strapped to him, and he he gives the the, the brothers a run for their money. What'd he's got that awesome vest on that's yeah. got like six guns strapped to it, uh-huh. which was pretty cool. Is I don't it? know if I've ever seen that in a movie before. I've seen like gun holders before, but this is an actual vest made specifically for multiple handguns yep. to be inserted into it. Yeah, and he had like a cigar in his mouth or whatever the whole time, and he's just like, he took care of him pretty yeah. quick. He blew off the guy's finger. Yeah, so he was no match. And, and Willem Defoe assumed that this one guy was in reality six people. Mm-hmm. So that's how much of a badass this guy is supposed to be. And Willem Defoe, he freaks out because he realizes that there's no evidence on the scene. The blood was tainted with ammonia. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that works. I bet you it doesn't in the real world. It might. I don't know, man. I've seen bones. She could figure that out. <laughs> Battle of the realistic. Yeah, yeah. Bones versus the Boondock Saints. Saints. All right, I'd go for that. Yeah, and Willem Dafoe finds the guy's finger on the ground, and Willem Dafoe secretly takes it and he puts it in his pocket. And I was thinking to myself, like, what the hell's going on? He just, like, why isn't he telling everybody? He was so adamantly trying to capture these people. Yeah. What? Like, like, it's like a a switch was flipped in his mind and he was on their side immediately. Yeah, all of a sudden he was he was empathetic towards them. Yeah. And it didn't make any sense. That was not set up whatsoever. No. From that moment on, he kind of talked about, um, especially when he went to the church and was talking to the priest, he talked about liking what they were doing. Yeah, he was on their side. But it, there was no lead into that at all. It was really weird when he took the, the finger and put it in his pocket. I agree. So after all this, they, the brothers decide that they're going to go after the big mob boss who was the one who actually set up their friend originally. So they're going to his house. He's got the place armed with, what, like four or five guys. Um, Plus, they've got Billy Connolly, Il Duce, out there hunting them down. They go in there. They get picked up pretty easily because this guy's got so many guards. They're held hostage in the guy's basement. And then there's a knock on the door. Yes. Yeah, so and who should show up? But... Willem Dafoe shows up dressed as a woman. He's dressed in drag. Probably the ugliest looking woman I've ever seen. It, it's interesting you should mention that because have you ever seen Gremlins 2? Not recently. Why? Do you remember the female Gremlin? Yeah. Willem Dafoe looked exactly Whoa. like the female Gremlin. <laughs> and a little bit like Sigourney Weaver. You're blowing my mind here. <laughs> I don't know what that says about Sigourney Weaver or Willem Dafoe. Yeah, I know. But I'll tell you this. I think it's offensive to both. (laughs) He looked so unlike a woman. Like, it was so clear that this was not a woman. Yet these guys, they fell for it. They were really into it. I mean, he had on really big glasses, a wig, a scarf. He took his glasses off. I mean, you can see his his cheekbones and, like... (laughs) Manly, he had, he put his manly hand on that guy's face, like caressed him. That's a good point. Yeah, so Willem Dafoe shows up. He uh, kicks a guy in the balls and kills him, and now yeah. he's crossed the line. He's become a murderer, just like the Saints. He seemed to be okay with it because then he just put his wig back on and made sure it looked pretty before he went out to. And he shot another person after that. Yeah, and then Billy Connolly shows up, knocks him over the head, knocks him out. Um, I don't know how you don't know Billy Connolly's coming since he always has a lit cigar in his mouth. Oh, you didn't smell it? I don't know how a hitman can get away with uh, doing a hit with a cigar in his mouth. Those things smell pretty repugnant. 
You can you can you can tell when someone's smoking a cigar. Plus, if he's here. trying to hide in the shadows, that lit ember is gonna, gonna, <laughs> gonna be kind of telltale. That's true. He was supposed to be in the in the bushes, right? Isn't that know, what the guy said originally? Whatever, yeah. So then he goes down to the basement. He finds the brothers. The the um, their friend had just been murdered by the head mob boss. And yep. the, okay, now, this is a scene that brings great confusion upon me. <laughs> so the brothers they, they they freed themselves and they put pennies on their friend's eyes. So the brothers start reciting their prayer. And earlier in the movie, they flat out said that this prayer is a ancient family tradition. Yep. My father, my father's father, so on and so on. Mm -hmm. So they start doing the prayer and Billy Colley shows up and he finishes the prayer. Like he knows it. He knows it by heart. And then they drop their guns and it's like a family reunion. What the hell's going on here? I thought, I took that as that he is their father. They don't know what their father looks like. I don't know. We don't know what, what their relationship to their parents is. It's, it's, it's absurd. Why is it absurd? I thought it was over, ridiculous. It's like, oh, what a coincidence. In a movie filled with, with a bunch of coincidences. I mean, it would, it would make sense why they're so good at killing. Oh, it's in the genes? It's in the genes. Oh, man. I don't know. I thought this was confusing. And He's been away for 25 to life. Oh, okay. You okay. think that's what it was? So maybe they didn't even know who their father was. Maybe that's answered in All Saints Day. Boondock scenes too. That's a good point. We should probably pop that on right now. Oh yeah, we'll watch it right <laughs> after this. Okay, so af- after that, we go from this scene to the final, the finale, and it, it takes place in a courtroom where the mob boss is being held accountable for his acts, mm-hmm. and it's implied that he's going to walk because he's so charismatic. He's like the Teflon Don. He's going to get out of there, no problem. And the brothers, they ba- they barge in with Billy Connolly, and they they do this really heavy-handed, holier-than-thou yeah. speech from mm-hmm. everybody. He's like, everybody, you need to watch this. Yeah. Murder and killing and <laughs> bad things. Shouldn't do that. Uh, or whatever it is that they said. And, and then they execute the mob boss gangland style in front of everybody where are the bailiffs and like everybody else there was a few guards that they got the the guns from but you you think in a high a high profile case like that there'd be more security they also they gave that speech as if they were pronouncing it to the world like this is something new you've never heard this before yeah and you know we're we're here so the world better stop doing all this you know murder and everything but they're preaching to what a room full of people. It couldn't be more than a hundred people in there that they're giving this message to. Sure. What's the point? It's almost like they're trying to announce it to the world, but there's no cameras around. I guess they'll they'll spread it to the media because they showed that one girl running out. I guess talking to the media at the end. Yeah. That's it. The end. Yeah. Boondog Saints. All right, Kevin. I have uh, some fun facts on this movie. So, I love fun facts. I, I know you do. There's a list on Wikipedia that ranks the movies that have said the word fuck the most. Okay. That's a bad word. Supposedly. And the word fuck and its derivatives are used a total of 239 times in the Boondock Saints. And since the movie is 110 minutes long, that makes 2.17 fucks per minute. Wow. The movie ranks 27th place on the list, one slot below Dead Presidents, and one above The Departed. There were a few scenes where the characters would go on for like 30 seconds and that's all they'd say. Yeah. I mean, it probably ramps up the average right there because I don't remember it being so commonplace. I'm surprised the count was that high. What's number one on that list? A documentary called Fuck and it's about the word. That, that's cheap. And, and, give, me, give me number two. It uses it like 800 Give me number times. two on that list. All right, hold on. They made that just to get number one on that list. <laughs> number two is Summer of Sam. I saw that in theaters. Summer of Sam has 435 fucks, 142 minutes, making it 3.6 fucks per minute. That's the um, Son of Sam killer movie. Yeah, Spike Lee. Spike Lee joint. I never saw that. Okay, that's that's a real movie, unlike the first one. Okay, Kevin, let's see what the real critics had to say about the Boondock Saints. 
a dim-witted, aesthetically clunky Tarantino clone, Nick Shager, Lessons of Darkness. That's pretty harsh. I mean, I guess I guess if you're a movie reviewer, like that's your job and you're more familiar with like the technical aspects of movies and what they should be, I can maybe see why you'd nitpick it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty entertaining. An embarrassing waste of time <laughs> <laughs> and nothing even resembling the guiltiest of guilty pleasures, Felix Vasquez Jr., cinema crazed. These opinions are like, oh, this is what we're supposed to think of this movie. Film snobs. Yeah. Duffy has made a film that sort of straddles the fine line between great movie and useless piece of garbage. Jamie Gillis, Apollo Guide. So it averages out to a good movie. All right, Kevin, this movie has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics did not like it. Is it really that bad? No. We give it a three. It's a fun movie. Like, what, what's the point of watching a movie? Do you want to be sad at the end? <laughs> no. Do you want to, like, have a smile on your face? I like, like, good, oh, I, I was like entertained. <laughs> I was entertained by that movie. Like, that, that's kind of the point of it, right? So that movie entertains the hell out of me. So I liked it a lot. Okay, you know what? I agree with you. Is it really that bad? No, I don't think it's that bad. Is it perfect? No, it's not. There's a lot of problems with this movie. Mm-hmm. But... Is really fun. I finally understand why this is the prototypical college guy movie. It makes sense. It perfectly makes sense to me why people in college would love this. It's a shame I, I waited so long to see it, man. I had all those great college years wasted. <laughs> okay, let's read some listener mail. Laura had something to say about the Babylon AD episode. In that movie, there's a scene in it where uh, Vin Diesel slams a door shut, and on the other side of a door, a missile hits it. And Vin Diesel flies backwards and he lives. And I questioned if any human being could really survive such a thing. And Laura says, Just last week, there was an episode of Mythbusters where they tested the Hollywood staple of a hero shielding himself from a bomb blast. They tested a wooden table, a trash container, a cinder block wall, and a car. In all cases, you would die if you were within 10 feet of the blast. So slamming a van door on a missile to enclose the explosion to escape unharmed? Even if he'd survived, he'd have been severely injured by the shockwave. Live to fight another day, Riddick. And the question of the week was, what's a movie that has an interesting vision of the future? And Laura says, my pick for most interesting vision of the future, I'd say that Robocop was pretty accurate in its portrayal of the future. Many of the movie's predictions have come true. Humiliating game shows, multiple frame news broadcasts with news tickers scrolling across the bottom, some block with insane SPF levels. And if by interesting you mean cannibalistic, I'd go with Delicatessen from Laura. Okay, as for the new question of the week, since Boondock Saints is the ultimate college boy movie, what movie were you obsessed with when you were in college or high school? Head on over to yesthatbad.com and leave a comment on this episode's page with the answer. Now's the time to announce the winner of the next Listener's Choice episode, and the winner is... Bicentennial Man. Oh yeah, have you ever seen that? No. No, well, I have, and uh, that's going to be a hell of a movie (laughs) to review. (laughs) I can't wait. This movie is currently available on Netflix Instant, so you can play along with us at home. If you've already seen this movie, please send us an email at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought about it, and we'll read it on the show. Or better yet, send us a voicemail at 973-797-YEAH, Y-E-A-H, and leave us a voicemail review of the movie, and we'll play it on the show. This call is free to anyone in the continental United States. So the number again is 973-797-9324. Thanks for listening to the show. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the show. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please tell your friends about the show 
by going to yasthatbad.com and liking us on Facebook and talking about us on Twitter. And you can follow us on Twitter at Yeah It's Bad. Thanks for listening. See you next time. It seems a little ridiculous that someone would rip a toilet off the floor. But... I couldn't do that. You know, one time I sat on a toilet that tipped over. That has nothing to do with anything, but... <laughs> I think it needs to, needs to go on Weight Watchers. <laughs> I want to hear more about that story. Yeah, sure. I'll tell you later. <laughs>